Welcome to Trowadron Legends and Lore. Episode 41, The Drenoric Age. Well, hello and welcome to Trowadron Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey, and this is the... What is this now? The fifth installment of the mini-series I've been doing now on the unrecorded timeline of Trolodron. And we'll be continuing that in just a moment here. I just wanted to share a couple quick things. First, if you're liking what you're hearing, do feel free to share a comment, commentary, or share some questions at lore, that's L-O-R-E, at Chad Corey, that's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. And I'll be happy to answer questions or get to check the feedback Or like I said, if you just want to share where you're getting access to this podcast, how you're finding it, I've always been curious and interested to know about that. I want to see where it's reaching and what is working as far as marketing and getting the word out in general. You can also find more information about Trollodron as well by going to the website, Trollodron, that's T-R-A-L-O-D-R-E-N.com. And you can use Trollodron as a handle at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to get more information I've been sharing as well. I usually try and post something there at least once a week, um, sometimes more than that, depends on what I'm sharing. But you'll get something and you'll find something new that you won't find necessarily on the website or in this podcast. So between the podcast, the website, and the social media, you are a well-informed <laughs> Trelodon fan. Uh, you can also just follow me on uh, social media personally if you like. It's just Creator Chad. that's C-R-E-A-T-O-R. Chad, C-H-A-D, and I am available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So do take advantage of that, as well as my website, chadcorey.com. And there's a, a newsletter you can subscribe to as well if you want to know about what's going on. Particularly now, I'm in the midst of a tour. We have wrapped up the tour for, well, officially wrapped up the tour for the Shadow Region. And again, thanks so much for your help and support with that. Really do appreciate that. It went really well. I had a fun time. And I think it, uh, I think it was good. I think we did some good stuff with it. And I was, just, it was fun to get out there again and just sign books. And it was fun doing it for a standalone book because, uh, you know, in the series book, you're usually thinking, oh, I got to do more in the series. Now it's like, oh, it's it's done. And I can look on it and do some other things and move on to the next thing in the future. Not that I didn't want to do anything with the book. It's just kind of a different feeling, a different mindset. You go into it usually. Uh, with the series, you're always trying to you know talk about the series, and this is you know one or two or three, whatever of the series. And here it's like this is it, this is a book, you know, enjoy it kind of thing. It was a fun, different way to uh, promote it and share it with people. So I, I enjoyed that. Uh, and then, like I said in the last episode, this is not necessarily the end of me touring and signing for the book. We are entering into the tour now for a um, graphic novel called Sons of Ashgard which is not Trollodon related, but you might still like it. And you can check it out if you like on my website. There's a whole big page about it in particular on the world setting. But um, tied into that because the book is still relatively fresh, I'm looking to have both books available when I do events. So while I'm not necessarily going to be highlighting and talking about the Shadow Region when I do these tours now, I, they will be there. It will still be available and it'll still be on the book uh, shelf and then the table, so to speak. So I will be signing copies of that too. So if you want to get copies still of the book, or if you want to get extra copies for people and friends and such, 
uh, knowledge or chance and still can take advantage of that and find where I'm going to be on my website or social media and pop in and get your stuff signed. And I will I will sign like I have been doing for other uh, places I've been to. I will sign your other copies of your other books. So the Wizard King trilogy and such and even you know, the box set and things like that. Although with the box set, you'll have to you know, actually get it out of the plastic wrap and uh, open it up for me so I can sign it for you. But I'll be happy to do that as well. So whatever you take there that's uh, trial related or anything that I've written, I'll be more than happy to sign it. So that's it. Let me wrap up that little PSA announcement there and we get into the bulk of today's message, which is going to be the Draenoric Age, which I think a lot of people have been waiting to hear more about. There's been kind of this mystery I think people have gotten into in the past or developed, I guess you could say, over the the history of the world setting of Trollodon and who are these Draenors? What are they about? How do they come to be? That sort of thing. Well, in previous episodes, we talked a little bit about that. They were the creation of the gods. They were created when Trollodon was created to more or less be, I guess you can say, a the pinnacle of their creation. They were to be the, the sole epitome of what the divine new order was supposed to be, and each god kind of poured a portion of themselves or their aspect or interest, shall we say, into the Draenors. And so that gave them a vested interest in wanting to see them succeed and be successful, which was part of Grithgull's plan to bring a greater unity and harmony amongst the gods and the cosmos in general. And for the most part, it worked. But unfortunately, like so many things that we have seen so far in the history we've been reading about, is that there was a cycle that kind of plays out here. And it started with the, the Titans and then the gods and the Titans again, and it will play out again with the Draenors as well. But, but basically, the Draenors would rise to power after our previous uh, interim period we talked about last episode, where you saw kind of a rise and a great decline and another rise again for all the different people groups across the planet, making their way out of a terrible series of events that needed to hopefully be put into the rearview mirror far, far, far away and let them begin to have a new life and a better life in the, in the current reality and the future to come. But the Draenors would rise to power and become a greater power on Trollodon, taking the place eventually of what the Titans once held as the dominant group on the world. And sadly, like we said, like the Titans, they too wound up as despots in the end. Because of this, according to the Patriots and the Cosma, the gods cursed them to a slow extinction and caused them to bring forth elves, humans, dwarves, gnomes, and halflings in their attempt to escape it. But like the Titans before them, they sought to wage war against their creation rather than repent and possibly free themselves from their curse. And finally, the gods would have no more of it, seeking to stop them from taking any more foolish actions akin to what the Titans did in their rebellion. And the Pantheon decided to put an end to the race and the Empire entirely, thus saving the other races from any further corruption and impression in the, in the process. And what that's referencing is previous episodes where we talked about the fiendish wars and the Titans bringing in the fiends and the corruption and the problems of that cause, which they still were dealing with in that present time with the monstrous races and other things in general. But in, in short... The Draenors followed a similar projector, like I said, unfortunately, it just it must, it must have been ingrained in them where they just learned too well the lessons from their predecessors and just copied it too effectively. But in the beginning, like we said, they were more or less a, a, a decent people wanting to make the best out of life. They're very uh, religious and, and, uh, and pious, 
and honored the gods and thanked them for their creation and thanked them for allowing them to, to escape the horrors that came about. And don't forget that we talked about previously that there was a group of Draenors that through their prayers and petitions to the gods helped bring about what became known as the Wars of Liberation. So they had a hand in, in wanting to, to free themselves from this darkness wickedness, and they were a pretty pious and righteous people early on. Unfortunately, as they got more power, as they took more control over things and, and gained more control and precedent, I guess you can say, or prominence, they began to become more self-focused, more empirical-minded. I guess they learned the lesson too well of their predecessors and took it to heart whether they intended to or not. And this age, the Dronoric Age, is more or less has focused or been the, the primary focus of three kings, although there are other rulers that have governed them over time. The historical narrative usually focuses on the three kings, or the latter three kings, because they fit perfectly in this narrative that they want to establish of the, the, the rise and the corruption and the fall of the Draenors in general. So again, people that write history sometimes like themes, and so we're kind of sticking with that theme for this particular episode as we address who those rulers were. And the first one was named Antur. Now, Antur was a, I guess for all purposes, a pretty decent ruler, and a righteous ruler. He was very pious. He was very into what his people believed to be the right way in doing things. And to be uh, getting back a step or two here, basically there was no universal uh, worship of just a single god at this point in time. Every All the people at this point in time, at least with the Draenors, were more of a pantheistic faith. They believed all the gods should be worshipped equally. There might have been some that favored, you know, a slightly different preference to a certain god or group of gods, shall we say. But in general, most of the Draenors and the other population groups focused on worshipping uh, the pantheon in general, although you have the races that were created specifically by the gods like the Ryu, the giants, and the minotaurs, be more solely focused on their creator, obviously, for obvious reasons than than the Draenors. But the Draenors were, you know, created by the gods, and so they had an invested interest in a, maybe an in, inherent nature to want to worship all of the gods collectively. So there wasn't a universal personal deity religion that would dominate the religious mindset of people after this time period. So I just want to back up on that. So basically, he was a, uh, Antor was a various... Decent king, decent guy, he reigned for um, a long period of time and established the foundations of what would become the Draenoric Empire, although at the time they didn't realize that. He just basically solidified all the gains, kept them in the, the, the greater civic mindset that was developing, and it really built up their architecture and technology and put them on the map, so to speak, as the preeminent and dominant power of that uh, time period. And under him as well, the Magi, the Draenoric Magi, which we talked about last episode, who were the precursors of what we know as mages and wizards today, were there to grow and bask in the, the wonderful stability and increase and in wonderfulness that he unleashed upon the people with his reign. They increased in power, they increased in knowledge and all that good stuff to make them greater and greater and greater than what they ever been before. And once Antor died, he was succeeded to the throne by Anzuri, and Anzuri was a pretty, by all accounts, historical and otherwise, he was a pretty decent ruler. He might not have been as seen as, you know, pristine as his predecessor, but he was still a very accomplished and wise ruler, more of a sage, more of a secular learning kind of guy. It's speculated he might have had some 
magi sympathies or wanted to be one or maybe was one at one point in time. But he had a, a direct connection to wanting to increase the learning and the literacy and the the um, scholarly pursuits of the people, the Draenors in general. And that, some people have speculated, might have contributed to the negative downfall of the people because as they got more heady, as they got more into the magic, as they got into more look-what-I-can-do kind of thing, some of them might have lost their way from the gods or began to see themselves as greater beings uh, than what they might necessarily be otherwise. But that didn't take really effect until the latter portion of his rule, which saw a really big increase with the Magi. They became probably very powerful to the point where they, you know, they've never been this way before, approaching, you know, well beyond the levels of what the Titans even could limit, could imagine on themselves initially. So they became quite powerful and influential in general, the Magi. And this would all culminate with the final king, Marat. And Marat was, I guess you can say he had despotic tendencies to begin with. He actually had very strong authoritative tendencies because the, the kingship in the beginning under Antor was more, you know, a first among equals kind of thing. He wasn't really a ruler so much as, you know, just a, a guider of the hand of the people, the will of the people, and just someone there to kind of focus and channel their, their will into being, if, if for lack of a better term. Uh, with Enzuri, we see he took on more of the, he became more of the, not just a figurehead, but he embodied the nation. He became part of the nation. He became ruler of the nation. So there's, there's kind of a transition between the two rulers. And then when you ultimately come to Marat, it was well ingrained in the people that there was a king and more and more uh, authoritative power had been taken by the rulership, by the administration. And the people, of course, were more and more familiar with and used to it and willing to part with it. And so in the end, you had Marat more or less becoming this despotic ruler and ultimately uh, growing more and more insane. He had uh, some levels and elements of paranoia mixed in there, but also just some general <laughs> common variety insanity were in the end, which might have been helped by the gods, um, some people speculate as punishment for what he was trying to do, but in the end, he, had, for example, he was thinking his shadow was his wife, um, other things, and just he, he just he was not necessarily 100% there, shall we say, which made him, uh, in some ways, more easy to manipulate with fears and concerns of you know the paranoia and stuff that the Magi did to the end, but he ultimately had a desire to free the people, in his mind, of the gods. He followed the same progression of dark wisdom and illogical concepts that the Titans put forth that, hey, you know, we can, we can beat our masters, even though from creation, it talks about in Theogony, that nothing can be greater than that which created it. So they already had this limitation put upon them by their creation. They couldn't overcome their creator, but that wasn't going to stop them. They were going <laughs> to try and do it anyway. And so... He began to put forth this this program, this plan that we have to you know rise above our limitations and you know take the next ultimate step and and so on and so forth to become living gods or whatever he's proposed at the time to the people who in some extent some didn't always agree with it, but more and more people did as things progressed, and that ultimately caused the destruction of not only the Draenoric age but the Draenoric Empire and the Draenors as a people. 
because as I began to follow these uh, programs and policies that Marat and the Magi put in place, the gods cursed them with uh, sterility. Half of them were made sterile, the other half could only produce what later became known as mortal kind. These, like we said earlier, were the, the humans, the elves, the dwarves, and the gnomes. And that was something that they just could not stand because, you know, they were being corrupted in Marat's eyes and they were producing these subferior, inferior races of people. And it's, it's from this that we had the beginnings, like I said, of mortal kind, but that's why mortal kind has the ability to cast magic because the other races uh, that were created didn't have that ability. The Minotaurs, the Giants, or you, um, who else am I missing there? Whoever else I missed there, um, they they did not have the ability to create magic because their creators did not want them to to have that ability. They wanted them to be dependent more on them for elements of uh, manifest mystical might, shall we say. And so because the mortal kind was derivative of the Draenors, they had the ability to cast magic, which kind of set them apart. And in a way, mortal kind became the favored descendants or offshoots of the gods because in a way they're like the red-haired stepchild you know they're 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 not really the draenor so they're not the initial creation of what the gods created you know they're their pinnacle of the creation but they're an offshoot they're a descendant they're you know a sidestep of what was created so yeah we're still going to honor them we're still going to work with them because you know that's all we got left of the draenors and so they the mortal kind became kind of the the chosen race of a lot of the gods wanted to work through and became the remnant of the Draenors. And for a period of time, the the populations of these new people grew. We have humans and elves living with Draenors, and, you know, along with the dwarves and the, the gnomes. And they were looking to, uh, you know, obviously try and fit in in that society, which unfortunately, as the longer they continued their stubbornness, the more their nation declined, the population declined, so there were less and less people to field the army, to do basic uh, services, to keep maintain the empire, to you know maintain all the various things that needed to be done in a society. And so that's where these more fecundant and fertile-minded mortal races became dominant. You had them becoming parts of the army, they were in the service industry, taking care of the flocks and the fields, not so much as slaves necessary, but just doing the work that needed to be done. And in the process, they learned to be part of or carry aspects of the Dronoric heritage and lineage. And that would be the seedbed from which we would get the modern cultures because there is a uniformity in mortal kind that has kept them to this day when it comes to their morality, their outlook, their worldview, how they see things, even some of their language has a root in the Draenor language, which also has its roots in some Titanic stuff. So they have this shared lineage that goes back in time all the way to the Titans, the mortal kind is because of their unique creation. But unfortunately, because the Draenors were not liking what they saw, which ultimately Marat, again, with some of that insanity and paranoia, playing into it, he was thinking that eventually they would be replaced by these mortal races, these mortal kind. And he did not like that because he kept seeing his own people, you know, the other ones that weren't producing were sterile, so they couldn't have any more kids. And their own population was dwindling, plus the ones they produced were these other people. So that he just did not like where this was going. But yet he would not repent, he would not give up his stubbornness, neither would larger numbers of people because as 
more and more people, more and more Draenors endured this, the more and more people began to get hardened and just didn't like this at all, turned away from the gods, began to get selfish. And so you had this great program that he was going to enact Marat toward the end of his reign, which thankfully was stopped by the gods by what was ultimately called the Great Shaking. And we will get into that next episode. But for now, thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate that. And uh, if you have any questions and comments, obviously share them at lore at chadcorey.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next episode. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.